0: For decades, the history of the DC Universe has been marked by its crisis-level events, status quo-altering storylines that have rewritten continuity while also providing a meta-commentary on DC Comics publishing itself, and all under a signature red glow. This is Red Skies, a 13-part podcast epic, mining these events and the Superman of it all. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Red Skies, Chapter 3. And joining me to discuss Zero Hour, Crisis in Time, as well as Hyper Time, is the host of From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, and returning guest, Michael Bailey. Welcome back.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me, Anthony. I really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate your willingness to come on for this. I know you've covered (laughs) Zero Hour on your own show, but that's one of the main reasons why I thought it would be great to get your perspective, so on your show you're covering the period as your title suggests from crisis to crisis, from crisis on infinite earths to infinite crisis, and this is just about smack dab in the middle more or less.
1: Yes, it is the the lesser known crisis, the the crisis only because they snuck it into the name <laughs> into the secondary name of the of, of the series, so
0: Yes, it's in the subtitle, so it's not in it's not in the main title, but it is there. That's actually one of the interesting things, though, as we make our way forward through this event that we're doing here. Not every single event has crisis in its title, right? Flashpoint and the metal events and things like that, doomsday clock, yet they fall under the umbrella, in my consideration, of what, what I want to cover when we talk about these status quo, continuity-altering events. It's funny because I was planning when i was first mapping this out i figured when we got to this episode i would come on and lament the fact that hyper time which is will also be part of our conversation that hyper time as a concept kind of fell by the wayside and no one ever did anything with it however as i've come to learn now i have not yet read flashpoint beyond the metal events or dark crisis but i will be reading those and i will be covering them over the course of this event so we're getting there my understanding is is that it has made a comeback and has been in play again. Have you been
1: following this? Uh, man, me following new comics has not been a thing for a couple of years. I think it was mentioned in Dark Crisis because for some reason, no, I know exactly why I got into it. Uh, they had like a sale where like the first five issues of Dark Crisis were 99 cents on Comicsology, And I'm like, you know what? I can invest $5 for that. Uh, and then I fell down a rabbit hole um of reading the infinite frontier and then the justice league miniseries that followed it which you kind of want to read and apparently there was a whole like deathstroke thing that i didn't read because <laughs> of course there was um i think Hypertime was mentioned uh it, it's just kind of fascinating you know with 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 mark wade coming uh like becoming more prominent at DC again, maybe maybe Hyper time is making a comeback because of that.
0: (laughs) That could very well be. So my understanding, and I know there are audience members who are more dialed into these recent events and know more than than we do at, at the moment, but my understanding from the reading that I was doing is that Flashpoint Beyond in particular established this idea, and hopefully I have this right, I'm doing my best here, that there is this, divine continuum that is comprised of the omniverse, which represents space, and hypertime, which represents time. And so all of these crisis-level events that we've had fall into one of those two categories. So something like Zero Hour or Flashpoint, where there are time timeline shenanigans, those would fall into the hypertime bucket of divine continuum events, whereas something like Crisis on Infinite Earths or Final Crisis or so on would be an omniverse Type event within this continuum.
1: And Flashpoint <laughs> Beyond was written by Jeff Johns. And didn't he try to also establish the metaverse in Doomsday Clock?
0: Yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay. I'm just. Suddenly we're, we're like Charlie from. Uh, that Charlie GIF from uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, where we've got the. the 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 board and the strings connecting things.
0: (laughs) Man, I feel like that more and more, we're only in the third episode of this event, but even last week when I was talking with Bernie about Crisis on Infinite Earths, and I was rattling through a a bit of a plot summary, it sounds absurd. And, you know, we both had to kind of take a beat and just kind of chuckle a little bit. But what's funny is, and we'll unpack all of this, but one of the things that's kind of fascinating to me in terms of going through all these events is just seeing what sort of themes or patterns emerge, right? And not even that they're necessarily by design, right? Because we're talking about events over decades by various creative teams with some some people popping up multiple times, but various teams, different people in charge, all that kind of stuff. So I think it's just kind of interesting to see what kind of what kind of emerges in terms of these patterns. And for me, I'll say one thing that I, I'm s- seeing already is that sometimes I just wish they would quit while they're ahead because I think hypertime works great and yet it was largely abandoned until recently, it seems. I actually quite liked what Johns did at the end of Doomsday Clock with this idea of the metaverse. Yet very quickly thereafter, we seem to have m- more of an explanation where perhaps one wasn't needed. I don't know. So that's something that I feel like I'm already... <laughs> feeling with this?
1: I, I think one of the, the main themes that I've really come to terms with uh, when it comes to these giant reality shaking events is <laughs> it's just the whim of the creators involved. Like somebody gets juice at a company. So Marv Wolfman was writing new teen Titans in the early eighties, uh, which quickly became one of DC's selling titles and George Perez was the artist on that. Uh, it was one of the, the few titles that was really going toe-to-toe with like Uncanny X-Men in terms of popularity with the fans. Uh, Teen Titans and Legion were like the, the, the two books that did that. And it seems like he was able to parlay that into using his influence to pitch Crisis. Now, they could have said no, so... You know, it, it's it's always the person at the top making the des- these decisions. But Merv didn't like the multiverse, so he pitched an event that got rid of the multiverse. And with Zero Hour, uh, Dan Jurgens felt that there was a raw deal happening on to the fans because of certain events from just like a year ago were suddenly not canonical anymore. And so he did a story that check notes was called Death of Superman. So, and, you know, Mike Carlin and him had the juice to kind of get this done. And in the late 90s, when we get to Hypertime, Mark Wade was one of the most popular writers. You know, Kingdom Come was a phenomenal success. And not only do you get to say, hey, you know, to start Hypertime, hey, we've got this idea, but also we're going to tie it back to that, that insanely popular book from two years ago. So <laughs> it, it just seems like, and, and this isn't, and this isn't me uh, attacking those creators or saying it's wrong. Uh, Cause this is just how entertainment works, but it just always seems like all of these giant reality shaking events happen because somebody who is very popular pitches the idea and DC says go for it.
0: Yeah, I think that that makes sense. It's fun. It's 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 interesting too, as someone who went through the law school process, as did my wife, and we talk about this a lot, where you spend all this time learning what the law is, and you, you know, I I guess maybe at it at, at the beginning you assume that there's some sort of I don't know, plan for lack of a better word. And then you realize it's ultimately these judges largely, right? in these case, And, uh, you know, of course, now we're touching on some, you know, uh, current real world, real world events, but it's like ultimately, <laughs> right. It's like people making it up and then it becomes the rule and you have to learn it and all of that. But so as you were saying that, that's kind of what I, what I was thinking of, because I guess maybe as fans, there's always this hope that there's again, for lack of a better word, some sort of master plan or some sort of actual explanation for all (laughs) for all of these conflicting continuities and it's like no it's like to your point it's the people who 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 are telling those stories at that point in time whatever their their interest their preference whatever it might be whatever their agenda is to, to tell that story
1: yeah and and that's the weird thing is that comics up until fairly recently i would probably say this is I may be wrong on this. Probably around 2012 is the cutoff of this. Comics were kind of a living document. Uh, the continuity was was ongoing, and even when they made changes, it was always like the, the companies would go out of their way to explain why that change happened. So Zero Hour is a good example of that. Hyper Time, not exactly Hyper Time, just seemed to be like Grant Morrison and, and Mark Wade and 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 that kind of generation of writers going, you know, DC had something that made it special with the multiverse. We can't bring the multiverse back, but why don't we do this? That makes it potentially you could do that uh, and go to different realities. And uh, I just think that both companies for several reasons, one, just the audience is completely shifted. Uh, There aren't people Getting into comics right now, that are going to be into comics in twenty years. Uh, that's assuming comics are going to be here in twenty years. Uh, but to us, and we're we've got a we've got a bit of age difference between us, but we've got similar milestones and, and hallmarks of our of of what got us into comics. It just seemed like it was just going to keep going and going and going and going, and now we don't have that anymore because the generation of readers isn't expecting that because this is just one stop on their entertainment path. Uh, It seems more important to be a Renaissance person when it comes comes to geek culture now. Uh, Whereas it was easier 20, 30 years ago to kind of be like singularly focused on something. And I just, I, I just don't think that they have to explain it anymore because bill murray from hot dog the movie it just doesn't matter (laughs) it really doesn't
0: it's true it's true and i definitely even before embarking on this this run of episodes that we're doing now i I had come to this point in my fandom where i don't i don't get caught up on this anymore but but i think that has i think i'm in a good headspace to do this kind of event because i think i might find Mm -hmm. it too frustrating otherwise if i was really looking looking for that sort of master plan but I, I I don't I don't need everything to line up I, I don't need that so I can come at this and and maybe have a little bit more fun with it and, and take a little bit of a step back so uh, you know, I'm glad I'm doing this now and I I think just for myself as a fan and I you know for for others who have gotten to this point you could probably attest to it as well it's like when you can get to that point and just kind of enjoy the stories for what they are on their own terms it's it's a it's a good place to be because otherwise it can mm-hmm. you know it, you can feel like you're you're banging your head against the wall sometimes so
1: yeah and it's funny to, to you know if you if you ask somebody who's a little bit older than me what they thought of zero hour they may have hated it uh because they were really bought into whatever was at the end of crisis whereas I came in after crisis so this was my first i was a there man uh you know, world changing event. And then you ask me about infinite crisis and I have a very different opinion of that. Whereas there are people that came in with infinite crisis and it's so subjective, but that's, God, this is going to sound so pretentious. That's what art is. So. Yeah. to a large
0: extent. <laughs> no, but that's. I, so I, I do want to talk about that personal component. That is a huge piece of this, of, oh, always. And so, just to take a step back for a second for our audience here. So, like we said, we're talking about Zero Hour, the five issue miniseries in 1994 by Dan Jurgens, Jerry Ordway, issues four through zero, released in that order, uh, weekly. So it was a compressed time frame. Dan Jurgens talked about this in the most recent introduction uh, that, that he wrote for one of the new hardcover collections of this. Uh, whereas Crisis on Infinite Earths was this year-long extravaganza. They wanted to do this in a more compressed time frame while, of course, still providing the opportunity for every title uh, in, in the publishing line to, to tie into it. And we'll also, I'm sure, touch on the uh, you know the, the Superman issues that were part of the, the, the Zero Hour event. And I know you've covered them on your show. I've covered them on this as well. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll hit on that. And then when we talk about HyperTime, so this was a, in case anyone's like, what the, what the hell is this hypertime you guys are talking about? So this was a concept introduced by Mark Wade in The Kingdom, which, like you said, is this follow-up to Kingdom Come. Uh, Alex Ross was not involved in this. It was uh, essentially a two-issue miniseries with a handful of one-shots that tied in. But the main storyline you got over The Kingdom issues one and two. Uh, and number two, introduced this idea developed by Wade and, and Grant Morrison, like you said, of hypertime, this vast web of interconnected timelines, like tributaries uh, in, in a river that can kind of uh, diverge and converge and overlap. And it was essentially another version of a multiverse, this idea of these all these alternate timelines. So it's like anything could kind of happen, right? Uh, and like we said, that idea didn't really seem to take hold for the most part, although it, it lived for a, for a minute there. Wade played with Hypertime in his dark Flash saga. The Walter West character came from one of these alternate timelines and eventually returned to it. and more prominently, what the other storyline that we read was the hypertension, uh, the Superboy story arc by Carl Kiesel and Tom Grummet, where Superboy is rocketed into hypertime and he has this this hypertime adventure that was a lot of fun and honestly was the highlight of of my reading experience here. so so that's what we took a look at for this episode, and so that's. You know kind of what we'll be unpacking over the over the course of this but but yeah i want to go back to what you were saying before so yeah where where were you in your journey in your fandom when this hit and and is there is there any event that more <laughs> that you know better encapsulates or represents dc in the 90s than than the zero hour event <laughs> other than the death of superman but
1: You know, it's weird. Okay. So, uh, to answer your first question, I was 18 years old in the summer of 1994. I just graduated high school and I was one of those smart kids that didn't apply themselves. So to get into college, they're like, you can go, you got to take this six week course. Now I scored so high on the English part of it that I actually got to take a credited English course that summer. So I, I walked into my first semester of college with a 4.0 grade average. That was one credit. But, you know, it it looks good, you know, when, you, when, when you're talking about it. Um, and so I was uh, – this was smack dab in the – zero hour was smack dab in the middle of that six-week course. And I would go home every Friday uh, and – After dropping my stuff off where I was living, I would immediately go to the shop to get my latest batch of comics uh, from Zero Hour. Because I was so hyped about this series because it was a big event. I was at a point where I started buying more titles. I went from just buying the Superman books to getting like the Batman books and Flash and Green Lantern. Uh, I just started picking up Green Lantern right at the beginning of the Kyle Rayner run. So for me, my headspace at that time was this, this was my time. This, this this was my uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi first step into a larger world. Uh, So I was very excited for it uh, at at the time, at the time it, uh, at the time it came out. Um, What was your second question? I got so (laughs) wrapped up in talking about college. Oh, just about
0: (laughs) when when we talk about DC in the nineties, I, I feel oh, like this event yeah. is a is a is a great, if not perfect, sort of representation of that.
1: Here's the weird thing about DC in the '90s. I have come to believe that DC in the '90s there were three DC comics in the '90s, uh, and this was stage one DC '90s, uh, and it's a perfect encapsulation of it because it's all of the characters from the early '90s. Who had ju- who were either just out of their big events, because if I'm remembering correctly, they had to truncate Nights End <laughs> over in the Batman books to get to this, because they couldn't have that in the middle of of their reality uh, reality shaping events. And Death of Superman had been over for uh, for a year, uh, and they were about just about to go into uh, Green Lantern had just gone through his. And Wonder Woman goes into hers after Zero Hour, uh, and then right after Zero Hour, DC decided we're gonna go full like image nineties. And if you look at the books in like 95, ninety like right up into the middle of ninety six, it's like the artwork is trying to be really image heavy. And then it seems like right after Kingdom Come, they're like, you know what? We've got great characters. We've got great writers we're going to change all of this. And that's when, you know, uh, the, the, the hallmark of that to me was always Grant Morrison's JLA, uh, which kind of introduced the third stage. So the answer to your question is yes, but it's more complicated than that.
0: (laughs) When, when isn't it when it comes to to (laughs) comics, but I like that. No, I like that. I like that description a lot.
1: And what has
0: your relationship to zero hour been in the years since, right? Like you were all in when it was when it was first coming out. As you've revisited it over the years, whether on your own or for the podcast for this, what, what, what is the what is the reaction now? What sort of mileage do you get out of it now?
1: Uh, it, it, it's it's mostly wistful nostalgia. Um, I've come to the conclusion that as much as I love Dan Jurgen's and I love seeing Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway work together, the main series sometimes suffers from having to fit so much into five issues. So it makes the reading a little uneven. However, when we covered it on, uh, from crisis to crisis, we went all in and we read all of the crossover, like literally all of the crossovers, even the crossovers that aren't marked as crossovers. Cause for some reason, steel didn't get a, like a, like a banner, like the trade dress. That's which is like, why would you leave money on the table there? Uh, and what I found was, the stories that dealt with zero hour were more enjoyable. And the ones there's Guy Gardner warriors or uh, the Guy Gardner series, like Bo Smith just threw everything at the wall. He's just like, I get to do something crazy for a month. So I'm going to bring in all these different characters. And uh, I, I, it is one of my more like, I think about it and I smile uh, because there's just so many good memories to it. And I still enjoy it so much and the only thing that keeps me from like being 100% there is what happens to the JSA uh, which i haven't ever quite forgave dc for <laughs> they made up for it later but still it was it was a rough going there for a little while
0: <laughs> it was and consider this this was my introduction to the JSA <laughs>
1: Wow, so hello and goodbye.
0: <laughs> not great, not great. It's it's funny, right? I I've talked many times about how how formative it was and how how interesting that my introduction to Superman was his death. But that that worked. This not so much, but thankfully what we got later on with the mm-hmm. the Jeff Johns, David Goyer, James Robinson series, that was so strong. I feel like that that made up for it. It really made me a fan of the, of these characters, but yeah, I so I was at a, at a different place. I definitely, I was trying to, I wish I remembered this better, but I, I mean, I was seven when this came out. I was reading the Superman books and I definitely remember reading the Superman issues that tied into it. I've told this story, but I didn't know what was going on. I was a little kid. I remember the issue. I want to say it's action, but it's the one where everything fades to white at the end. And I remember leaving Dragon's Den comic book store in Cross County in Yonkers, New York, and flipping through it in the car and seeing that, and I remember like my mom and I went back into the store. We thought it was a printing defect, right? <laughs> Without the larger context, and I hadn't re- and like I hadn't read that issue, so I was just like flipping through it, and it just looked like oh, they ran out of ink. <laughs> <laughs> sure, if I had actually sat there, I like to think if I had sat there and read it, it would have been clear. But in any event, uh, so I I don't like I don't I wasn't reading the main storyline, the main uh, you know miniseries. I eventually read it in trade paperback. It had to be—I mean, at least a couple of years later. I, I mean, it wasn't that long after, but it was a while later. Uh, and so, I, I have—I have some nostalgia for it, but not—not not to the level that you do. So when I when I reread this. It's, it's, I think, a little bit tougher for me to get. Not that it's tough. I mean, it's not such a slog, but I don't get as much out of it, I suppose. Whereas, not in terms of crisis events, but just in terms of DC events and crossovers, Final Night, that was the one where I was there for that one, and I was a little bit older, and I was getting that main miniseries as it was coming out, and that imprinted on me in in a much stronger way. And then when we talk crisis events, Infinite Crisis, like that was the one and I'm very excited to get there. We'll have multiple episodes on that. But like that was the one where I was so invested. I was reading almost everything DC was putting out. I was following all of those miniseries. Like I that was the one that was really my quote unquote my crisis. Uh, whereas something like this, you know, it definitely represents a time in DC and and it's, you know, from you know Dan Jurgens and Jerry Ordway, and we've talked about their work on the Superman books a lot, so you know that definitely carries some weight. So I I have fondness for it but i don't have that i don't have that those feelings that you do so i i kind of only get so far with this when i go back to it
1: yeah and i could totally see that i reading it in trade paperback years later it must be kind of like when people now pick up like crisis on infinite earths because not it's not a complicated story but you are looking at characters that don't matter anymore that almost didn't matter when the book came out when, when you think about it. Uh, you know, I just, just, I remember back when last year, uh, when the 30th anniversary of the death of Superman came out, and you have the Ivan Reese cover, and it has, you know, redo, kind of doing a new version of the poster that came with Superman 75. And I looked at that, I go, new, re- new readers must, new- newer readers must be looking at these characters and like, who, in the heck am what am i looking at here like who is that girl with the wings i mean it's just like and then and then you try you know maybe you try to explain to it well those are members of team titans what was team titans well they were a titans team from the future and it's one of those things where everybody has i don't i don't care what fictional universe you're into if you get into it to a certain extent everybody has their bridge too far everybody has that thing where it is perfectly like rational to one human being and another person is just going to look at you and go, what do you mean he had a mermaid girlfriend? What, what does that even mean? <laughs> so, and, and, and I feel like people reading this later have to have that. Why is Aquaman holding his hand and going, I'm fine? when there's no other context in the story for that.
0: No, I I mean, that's a great point. And I think that's one of the tough things with these events because they're so of the moment. And then when you remove them from that specific moment in time that they're speaking to and you go back to it later, then I think the question becomes, is, is there enough there? Is there enough there? And sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. On the other hand, there is something there's something neat about how these events and this one in particular, they serve as a time capsule, right? Of that, of Mm -hmm. that specific era. So you look, especially when you get the double page spread as all the heroes are assembling at the United Nations and it's like, all right, like this was the DC universe at the time. And and yeah, exactly. It's like (laughs) many of these characters are not in play anymore. And, but you know, every character is someone's favorite, but you know, this was, this was who we were working with at the time. So that time capsule element, is, is, is cool or or interesting, but yeah, I mean, as far as w- like what's going on in this book, in, in case anyone either hasn't read it or hasn't read it in a little while, uh, so time is a amiss. We have these anomalies popping up, like a younger, healthier Barbara Gordon Batgirl, for example, and we have these waves of entropy moving backward from the end of time and moving forward from the beginning of time and converging in the present and wiping everything out along the way. Seemingly, the work of Exton, the former character Hawk, who became the villain Monarch, and has now evolved further. And of course, and I don't think this is a spoiler at this point. People, I think, are are well aware of the the, the long journey that Hal Jordan went on. <laughs> but we ultimately find out that the true villain of the piece is Hal Jordan Parallax, who is seeking to to take what he, what he tried to do with Coast City and fixing things there, but do it for everything. right? He's going to fix everything. He's going to rewrite the timeline and make everything as it should be. And so as you're reading this, so much of it is just, again, these anomalies popping up, heroes not quite sure what's going on. They assemble. We have a couple of skirmishes at, at again, the beginning of time, the end of time. I, For me, I didn't really feel like I was getting a ton out of this until we got to Hal Jordan's entrance. And then I felt like we really kicked, you know, we kicked into gear here.
1: Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of glad that the trade paperback includes the two chapters from showcase 94, because again, if you just jump right into the series uh, it's, it's, it's not incomprehensible, but it's like, you're doing a lot of work to try to keep up. And even when I was a kid, or even when I was eighteen, I didn't know that at one point Hal Jordan would go back in time or go, get thrust forward in time, and they would that society in that future era would make him think his name was Paul Manning, uh, the Green Lantern of that era. And yet, it's happening. Like you're supposed to know it now. To be fair, I think that that's kind of how you have to treat. Writing in general, uh, you have to kind of go with the idea like your audience isn't stupid, uh, and you don't want to bog the dialogue down in expository uh, expository reams of paper to explain you know what's going on. It's just it's just a good way of of referencing the fact that in the future the time is being erased from the future. Uh, and you know, the death of the flash was meant to the quote unquote death of the flash, excuse me. Um, <laughs> cause Wally he doesn't die, um, is supposed to kind of echo, um, the, you know, the death of Barry in crisis. Have you, um, have you ever seen the video that was sent to, to comic shops?
0: Yes, I have the, the promotional okay. video for zero hour, uh, where you have, Creators talking about the story, but most notably, right, is is an actor portraying Parallax as he's staring at all these screens. Yeah, very so so fun and weird and and fascinating.
1: Yeah, my the guy who ran the shop I went to at the time, which was a place called Comic Quest, which no longer exists shockingly. um, He gave it to me, Uh, so I I still have it in the house somewhere. Um, yeah, it's but I, I go back to Brian Augustine on that saying we're gonna throw another flash on the fire uh, when they talk about Wally um, Wally ha- having his uh, quote unquote, again, death uh, at the very beginning there. And it's you're right in that like the plot actually kicks into gear when Parallax shows up because then we finally know what's going on. In terms of the story, um, like the continuity gaps are just something it, it's like a metatextual way of dealing with the fact that continuity has shifted even since the crisis uh, and the idea that the crisis was this big secret. I kind of like the scene of, of Waverider. Like and then you have to explain that, but I like of Wave Rider discovering what the crisis was. Like it's this like this video he watches and it horrifies him of all these realities getting wiped out, and I, I just think that Extant as a villain, there isn't much to him, but then when you figure out that he's just kind of the lapdog, then that makes more sense, and it's a lot easier to then. When you go back on a reread, I think it's a lot easier to go, oh, okay, I see what's going on here. This is kind of interesting. Um, But, yeah, there is so much. that. It's funny that for a a miniseries and an event that was designed to clean up continuity, there's like 15 billion pounds of continuity going into it that you have to understand. You have to know who the Linear Man are. You have to know who Wave Rider is. You have to know that there was another Matthew Ryder. And then you have to understand that, oh, this extant, he's actually the guy who is Hawk. But Hawk became monarch because at the end of Armageddon 2001, it was supposed to be Captain Adam. But then they changed it. So now it's Hawk and now he's extant. And it's just like, it, there's a lot of asking uh, asking at the beginning of this that I think once you get to Parallax, like a lot of that gets forgiven. <laughs>
0: Yes, that is that is very true. Going back to what you were saying a minute ago, I, I do agree about, you know, in terms of how a writer would or should approach a story like this. Yeah, you can't, the story will suffer if you try to explain every single thing that's at play for the reader. And I, I, what I have always felt as a fan, and I, I feel like a lot of fans probably feel similarly, especially now with all of the tools we have at our disposal the internet, namely, and Wikipedia in particular, it's like, I've done that a ton of times, right, as I'm, you know, you just need a quick, you know, you just want to, you know, get caught up as quickly as possible and just get a little context, you know, I feel like we're happy to do that, or if we're really so moved, you know, you track down the back issues or the trade paperbacks, and you actually read the stories that might be be referenced, as long as a story in and of itself tracks and makes sense in and of the story, but as far as, yeah, some characters or plot lines that might be referenced that you don't know, I think that's part of the fun of this of this journey is, you know, you can, you can educate yourself. So yeah, I I definitely agree with that. The, the, the the bit about the the revelations about crisis, that was particularly interesting, especially having just reread crisis and had a conversation about that. And yeah, this notion that the the heroes of the DCU are are aware of a battle with the anti-monitor, but the larger picture about what went on during crisis and the loss of the multiverse that is unknown to them. And so when Rip tips Wave Rider off, hey, this is like the crisis, right? And then Wave Rider does his research and he learns about all of these other worlds. I mean, that was particularly interesting. I, I, you know, are you aware of any other instances, I guess, between Crisis and Zero Hour where such an explicit reference was made to the fact that there had been this multiverse? Animal Man. Okay. Um,
1: during Grant Morrison's run of Animal Man, because Psycho Pirate shows up. Okay. So there's a, there, there's a reference to that. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's one of those weird things that there is accepted, accepted fact in reality and accepted fact was the crisis ended and DC rebooted and, or, and rebooted a bunch of things and that everyone was on board with it when that wasn't the case at all. Um, And then you look at characters like Wonder Woman and Superman who got top to bottom revamps. Whereas Batman, it was just like, if we feel like it, it didn't happen or it did happen. Uh, And Green Lantern got a new got a new origin, but that wasn't until 1989. And it was Hawkman specifically, I think, uh, that got under Dan Jurgens' skin. And rightly so, because you had that story in Superman number 18, uh, where the Hawks, Hawkman and Hawkwoman bring Superman back to where Krypton was. And he has this whole hallucination of of Jarrell sending Kryptonians to Earth and how that goes terribly wrong. Uh, and I think they wanted to make reference of that, if I'm remembering correctly, in Action 650. And they're like, oh, that didn't happen. It's like, what do you mean that didn't happen? Well, with Hawk World, those Hawks don't exist the same way. Uh, in fact, according to a Hawk World annual, all of the Hawkman appearances that you saw in like Justice League, those were really just the golden age Hawkman and Hawk Hawkgirl, uh, even though it wasn't, but it was, but that's what we're doing. But because of Hawk World, none of that happened. And Dan Jurgens was like, that's insane <laughs> in, in not so many terms. So, I I like the idea that everybody just wasn't talking about it, which made this more dramatic. But yeah, it, it was just like one of those things, no one, when Crisis was mentioned, it was always, that's where Barry died. Barry died sacrificing himself for the universe, And that's all they talked about. You know, it's just like you can't talk about the fact that Supergirl died because Supergirl doesn't exist. Right.
0: No, that so that was one thing we talked about that in the last episode where I think, you know, I've read Crisis itself, I think, three times in in my life. And I, I always forget. I always in my head think of it as. It's the death of the multiverse, but also it re- re- rebooted everything, and then you reread it, and it's like, no, 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 it really didn't. And I, I was was reading more about sort of that limbo period, right? I even just the math and the dates of it, the the space that was between the end of Crisis and Man of Steel, for example, and there were just like regular issues of Superman that were going on after this before we actually got to the reboot. So yeah, it was not this all in, you know, starting over. It was it was very piecemeal, and so I, I can understand these glitches that arose and. Juergens himself talks in that introduction to the the hardcover that's sitting on my table in front of me here about uh, an issue of Green Arrow, Mike Grell's Green Arrow that he drew that really got him thinking about this even more, where Oliver Queen was celebrating a birthday, and I think he was turning 45. And that got him thinking about, well, if Oliver is 45, what implication does that have for the ages of the rest of the DC universe? And that as he, as he writes in his introduction really seemed to get the ball rolling as far as why he wanted to do an event like this. And that leads me to, I want to bring up a couple questions from, uh, from one of our, our patrons. So, uh, this is from Brian. Uh, he says, I know it's subtitled crisis in time. Uh, but his question was about the, the use of crisis. Do you think, or have you found out that DC used crisis specifically to emphasize the intended gravity of the story? Uh, I mean, Jurgens talks about that in the introduction, where no. they were always—it was always going to be crisis because that meant, you know, what what we've all come to to know it as. And but then this is this is specifically what I want to pose for for our discussion here. Brian asks, "Do you think the story accomplished what it set out to do?" And then he goes, "Honestly, I haven't reread this in over twenty five years. What did it set out to do?" And I, I know we've been we've been touching on on the latter. I guess that there were these. You know, these these glitches and and, and things like that, uh, you know, things that didn't quite line up in in terms of what what it actually accomplished, I I guess, where do you land on that? How do you view that piece of it?
1: I, I think its intention was to give the entire line a chance to firm up a continuity and then go forward with it. And if you wanted to make changes, now is the time to make changes, uh, one of the best examples of that is Batman. Uh, post Zero Hour, Batman is, was, and always should be a character that people in in Gotham City think is a myth. Like people don't they, like, like, you know, it, it's it's all a, it's all a conspiracy on the part of the cops. They you know they put the bat signal up. Batman doesn't exist. So the idea of Batman being a public figure goes out the window uh, and that really gets driven home in in titles later on, like Young Justice, where Robin can't be seen when the team is public because he's not supposed to exist. Um, I think it did that. I think it accomplished in the short term, giving the creators at the time a chance to kind of firm up their their continuities and move forward um and that really didn't set in i ag- get again until like 96 but uh, i i think unlike crisis which was meant to just get rid of the multiverse and apparently marv wolfman wanted to start everything over at number one and dc said no right uh i think they wanted to do that again here and again dc said no, we're, we're not doing that. You can have a month of zero issues, uh, but that's all we're going to do. Uh, you know, you, you've got to work it out in your own books. Um, and in some cases, it worked out fine. And In other cases, like Hawkman, it's just like it's going to take a lot longer to work all that out <laughs> in terms of how that actually works.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, unless I'm mistaken, we really don't get all of the Hawkman business cleaned up in a satisfactory way until we got to that return of Hawkman story in Mm -hmm. JSA and this idea that these were all reincarnated forms, which was a, I always felt was a very, and I didn't even have all of the backstory at the time when I was first reading that, but it always felt like kind of a a, a tidy, efficient way of, you know, sort of reconciling all of these, these disparate versions of, of Hawkman. So, I mean, I don't know, like maybe that's, that's an example going back to the question of did it accomplish what it set out to do? I mean, in the case of Hawkman, that continued to be a convoluted Situation there until we we eventually got it streamlined a bit later.
1: Yeah, it was it was I, I think on the whole it, it gave it gave DC a jumping on point for new readers. Uh, it gave established readers a chance to decide if they were going to stick around or not uh, for the Superman books. It really didn't do much to add anything uh, outside of Kenny Braverman and Conduit. Um, and Simone, uh, whatever her last name was, um, who got name checked on Superman and Lois this season, which I thought was interesting. Uh, oh, did I <laughs> in, in the flashback <laughs> episode? Oh, um, okay. I, I don't know on purpose, but it's how I took it. Um, but no, it's it's I I think the, here's the thing: all of these reality shattering events. Accomplish their goals in the short run. And in the long run, other creators come on that have a difference of opinion or regimes change. And suddenly what was important to the old regime isn't important anymore. And the marketplace is shifting. And that's why we need an infinite crisis because, we need to kind of clean things up again because there's stuff that wasn't part of oh yeah, the other Batman thing. sorry I, I just thought of it. Joe Chill didn't kill the Waynes um, because the idea is if he knew who killed his parents, he wouldn't want to be Batman anymore. That's a podcast in and of itself <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drag us down that rabbit hole uh, but again, Short-term, yes. Long-term, absolutely not.
0: (laughs) Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers, and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals, Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The Jay Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at FilmFreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. Yeah, I mean, as I was rereading it, and especially in the context of these crisis events, I felt like it worked better just as a DC event more so than as a crisis level event, I suppose. I mean, in terms of just a a story in and of itself, I having just reread crisis, one of the things, and I'm, you haven't heard the episode yet, but in terms of when we're recording, but you know, crisis was, it was dense and, and you know, both Bernie and I talked about how it was, you know, it it took a while. It, It took a while to, to get through that reading project. But one of the things that I complimented it for was that, as you were reading it, the the original crisis, it felt like there were a lot of places where there were there were kind of you know, there were opportunities where if you wanted to then read a tie-in issue, right, that continued a thread that was set up there, you could. But you didn't necessarily feel like you were missing anything if you didn't. That was at least my experience having just reread it. And so I felt like that story in and of itself was gave you everything you needed, but there were these opportunities they presented where if you wanted to go off and follow Blue Devil on his adventure, you can. But if you didn't, you're fine. Reading this, I felt almost the opposite. Again, until we get to that that final, you know, the the Hal Jordan issue. But it's just like, it feels like, and, and to your point, I think that the tie-in issues were more interesting. Uh, and I, I, I've only read a fraction of the ones. I give you so much credit for going through all of them. I've... You know, I've, through these these podcasts now, I've I've hit on Zero Hour, you know, a few different places, and I've never been able to, like, pull the trigger and bring myself to do all of them. So I really, I, I tip my hat to you. But, like, the Superman ones and, and the Superboy one in particular is probably my favorite. Uh, I feel like there was there was some good stuff going on there, whereas the, the main series just felt like more, I don't know, and I don't say this in a dismissive way, but just as more of this framework, and then there was some interesting business going on in some of the tie-ins. So.
1: Yeah, it, there was definitely a lot more handing off to the tie-ins in this one. Uh, having Barbara Gordon show up in the first issue was really more of a way to kind of get you to want to read the Batman issue where they get to explore that idea. Um, I have a theory, and I think Dan Jurgens has talked about this, and it didn't hit me until we covered it on the show, on From Crisis to Crisis, Um at the very end, there's a new time trapper. I think it's Barbara Gordon. Cause there's a little tuft of red hair that peeks out. And I didn't notice that back when I was 18. Cause I was more like, let me get to this 15 page fold out of the new timeline. Uh, Cause I got to know where everything fits because I'm anal retentive and remember everybody anal retentive is hyphenated. Um, <laughs> but uh no, it was really, especially in those first few issues, it was a lot of handing off. A lot of like, yeah, if you if you really want to see what happened to the Flash, go kind of read what his, his crossover. And then in other cases, it's like, does it matter? Not really. Dark Stars? Not a bit. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the Superman books, only to explain the last page of the first issue of Zero Hour, of Zero Hour number four, where Batman and Superman show up together. Uh, and they have a little conversation. And my favorite line in that is, it's been a big year for both of us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> way to understate it there, uh, Clark. Uh, good job there. Um, so I think it's it, it's one of those weird things where you really don't have to read all of all of them. I think that some of them are fun. You mentioned the Superboy one, which is a ball. Because it's Superboy meeting pre-crisis Superboy. Uh, and have you read the Robin one? I know I have not. It's Tim and a young Dick Grayson having an adventure together as the two Robins. And it's really good. That's, cool. uh, it's got a, it, it's got a similar vibe to the Superboy one. Cause they're both drawn by Tom Grummett. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and then you have like the, the, the Batman shadow of the bat where fat Alfred shows up. And that's that's the time anomaly is the original Alfred Beagle from the 40s before he, he, he apparently went on a diet and grew a couple inches, um, <laughs> shows up and, and gets to have an adventure with Batman and Robin.
0: <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Well, to your earlier point, so Juergens all but confirms in that introduction that the time trapper at the end of Zero Hour is indeed that Barbara Gordon anomaly. So there you go. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's 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 a cool bit, I guess. again, when we're talking about these, these times, we we went through a a bunch in the Superman books in particular, there's the Man of Steel issue where Superman encounters all of these uh, Batman variants. So you get the Dark Knight Returns Batman and you get uh, like the, 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 the Bob Kane golden age bat. Like you get, you get a variety of different uh, Batman uh, through the eras. And another Superman issue has uh, Jor-El and Lara in our timeline from another timeline where Krypton was never destroyed, and now they've shown up looking for their son. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one introduces the Alpha Centurion character, where Superman is is often in, in his in his Metropolis, the, the Alpha's uh, Metropolis. I guess well, I, one thing that I, I suppose I was I was bumping up against, and this isn't even a it's not like a criticism of the story, but I guess when we're looking at it as a, as a crisis, like the Superboy issue made total sense to me because it was as you said right the pre-crisis superboy clark kent superboy encountering our superboy and it's it was fantastic it was such a fun issue and it was cool and of course you know clark superboy is so out of sorts he's in our timeline and uh you know he he sees lana and he assumes it's it's his lana but she's older and married to Pete ross he's freaking out and of course we haven't seen this incarnation of of clark superboy so there's that whole how, that whole component there and especially through the lens of crisis that to me felt like oh this is what the heart of it is but so many of these other anomalies like again jor-el like a jor-el and lara you know showing up from a krypton that never exploded like it's interesting i'm not knocking it it's it's an interesting angle what what we you know what would clark's reaction to be be mom and pa's reaction to this it's great but yeah I don't know. I guess I was expecting more more pre-crisis elements to be at play, I suppose.
1: yeah, it's interesting that the pre-crisis d c universe for the longest time, and this is just my perception as a reader. Um, this isn't me like having been told something by somebody who is in the know. Uh, it just seemed like for the longest time, especially in the nineties the idea of referring to stuff that happened in the pre-crisis DC multiverse was just verboten. Like they weren't going to do it. We're, we're, we're not going backwards. We're going forwards, uh, you know, and, and and really when you look at, you know, what happens to Parallax after this and with, you know, Kyle Rayner is the new Green Lantern. Wally West has been Flash since 87 well, technically 86, but 87. Uh, you know, a little bit after this, Oliver Queen is killed and it's Connor Hawk. And the DC universe took on this whole feel of we're moving forward. Like there is literally three generations of heroes now. And you're here on the ground floor of that third generation as it's making coming up in the world. Uh, so, you know, you have some Golden Age characters still popping about. And, and again, it's amusing how, you know, this, this, uh, this series was meant to once again put the JSA back in the box. Um, they did it at the end of Crisis with the last days of the JSA one shot where the Justice Society was sent to fight in this interdimensional Ragnarok and as long as they fought there, reality wouldn't end. So all of the Golden Age characters are gone. And then they're brought back a year or so before this and you have a really good 10-issue Justice Society of America series by Len Strzyszewski and Mike Parabek. Um, which was apparently cancelled before the first issue came out because some of the powers at be felt that the Justice Society made them look too old. Like, you know, and really, when you look at it, it's nineteen ninety two. What's what's big in comics? It's Image. It's 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 Valiant. It's these new new guys coming up. And what we're telling you is Grandpa superheroes are back. And who's going to care about that? Well, people. But still, they made a big deal in this series of the JSA. Uh, most of them getting killed off, <laughs> and then the others retiring. And that didn't stick around because you had. Jay Garrick as a supporting character in The Flash. And you had Alan Scott still popping around. And when you get into the Starman series, that's just like... It's, it's like that place where you, you, you send people to hide out for a little while until, you know, things change. It's just <laughs> like, you know, Starman was a little small town where they got to live until things changed in the big city. Um, because really, when you read that scene where the JSA disbands... Jurgens is really trying to sell that this is like, we're not sending them off willy nilly. Like everybody here, you know, this is just about that guard retiring and everything. It's respectful and all that. But at the end of the day, it's just like, you just killed off a bunch of characters (laughs) for absolutely no other reason than you, than they were old and you wanted to move away from that.
0: Yeah. The caption even says the silence screams, respect. Superman yeah. standing in the center, and Jay and Alan are walking away uh and and you have the younger guard behind them yeah th- i mean they they their ranks are decimated in a battle at vanishing point with extant and this, and he uh ages them up, and you know they th- there's this talk of all of these you know uh, various rejuvenation spells and protections of their youth that they've had that now go out the window and uh, you know, Al Pratt is is killed, and uh, along with Hourman and Midnight, I believe uh, yep. Kent and and Nelson stripped of their powers. They'll eventually go to the was it Jared Stevens, and he becomes the new mm-hmm. very '90s Fate uh, again. Star- the Doctor is out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, Starman and uh, and very, you know, aged up and and have to retire. So it's it's uh yeah, it's definitely a tough moment for those characters. I mean. It it probably felt like forever at the time, but, you know, it it was only a handful of years before we get to that uh, that relaunch at the end of the 90s. But uh, and like I said, as as my introduction to the characters, it's tough. A couple of things I want to ask you. So like that scene in particular, because that stood out, because, again, like I said, Superman's in the center as Jay and Alan are walking away and Superman's like front and center. The physically, for for a lot of this, but I don't feel like he, like how do you well, let me put it this way? How do you view Superman's role in the Zero Hour story?
1: He was front and center because this was still the time in DC where Superman was front and center. Yeah, um, it wouldn't be Batman until a decade or so later. Uh, we're now just ninety four is just in the ascendancy of Batman, kind of eclipsing Superman in terms of being DC's flagship character Uh, so what you have in that image is him standing in the middle representing the one that's always going to be there but you have jay with impulse standing behind him and alan and kyle rayner green lantern standing behind him representing that they're the future but superman is in the middle and he'll always be there and it'll be clark as superman that's how i kind of take that uh, uh, that kind of DC statement on that.
0: No, I like that. And definitely in the context of that scene, I guess I meant more just in the, in zero hour generally. Cause again, if it, it feels like he's, he's there and he's, and he, he's ultimately the one who sends that message out through Metron to assemble all of them. And uh, yeah, you know, kind of somewhat reluctantly assumes the role of leader, but I, I don't know. It doesn't feel like he really ever has all that much to do in this story.
1: It, it's, it's funny. He's, when when you look at it, like the first issues is mainly about getting wave Rider and extant and all those characters into play and taking the JSA off the table. Uh, when parallax shows up, the first thing he does is sucker punches Superman and knocks him out. Um, so, and really at the end, the catalyst for the change is like green arrow and, um, damage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, right. to
1: restart the Big Bang. So I, I kind of have to agree with you. Superman doesn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, but again, I think his his presence there is mainly because he's, he's, he's the big gun. So he's going to be, even if he's not doing anything, you're going to see him in the shot. Right. Uh, his agent was really good about getting him screen time. <laughs> uh, and I think it kind of helps that the two main creators on the book... Are Superman creators, so so you have that going for it too.
0: No, definitely. It was like I'm glad he's there, but it's one of those things where I got to the end of it, I was like, well, he was there, but if you like, what did what did he do in the story? I didn't feel like there was a lot. Jergens wrote in that introduction about how the inclusion of Hal Jordan was relatively late in the game, right? Because as his as Hal Jordan's role at DC was shifting, and now he was being elevated to this you know, to this uh, universe-wide villain. I I guess I'm curious, do you think, do you think that that, maybe if that had been known earlier in the game, it would have been parallax throughout instead of Extant and then the parallax reveal. And I guess hand in hand with that, do you think the story would have been stronger if it had just been parallax throughout? If he had been revealed at the end of the first issue, for example, and then we kind of went from there. Or do you like the way this played out?
1: No, I actually like the way it played out uh, that there's something else going on. And especially if you were kind of following what was going on in Green Lantern, it was interesting that that Hal pops in. And I think Hal has a stronger, Hal gives it more of a I'm doing the wrong thing for the right reason rather than I'm just evil and I want to wipe out all of time and recreate it in my own image. You know, Hal is doing what Hal did during Emerald Twilight, where he's just trying to recreate. I'm trying to recreate Coast City because Coast City got destroyed and the Guardians turned their back on me. And now I'm going to do that on a global scale. I'm going to I'm going to bring every I'm going to make it so that the the right reality. And when you when you jump forward to another event, that's kind of the thing, too, is we're going to create the correct reality. Uh, so I think having parallax show up when he did one it gives you a uh, a late story swerve that you didn't see coming and actually it is like i remember reading it going oh my god it's parallax uh it it's it, it's hal jordan he's the bad guy behind this and i remember really liking that then and I still like it because I think it It makes the story stronger because to my mind, Extant isn't much of a character (laughs) at all. (laughs) He he is a costume uh, that looks kind of cool in his very (sighs) nineties. Yeah.
0: I I mean, I guess I asked because like I said, I, I, I enjoy this so much story. I enjoy the story so much more when Hal Jordan enters that I'm like, well, I wish we was he was there for longer, but I, your point is well taken. And I think it's definitely impactful that it happens when it happens. It's funny too. And this, this is its own podcast uh episode or series as well but uh you know i i, I certainly again even though i was i was the little kid as all of this was happening i i do know what a big deal at the time it was for hal jordan to descend into villainy and i know there was a lot of fan uproar over that and i i definitely remember of course you know by the time green lantern rebirth came around you know you know it was like turning a corner in, in that sense i guess i always I guess I never really felt that strongly, but I knew people who, who you know, had grown up with the character and did feel more of an attachment. And I guess you know, I kind of uh, you know, f- fell in line with this whole thing. Like, oh yeah, he needs to come back as Green Lantern. As I've gotten older and I look back on it and uh, yeah, I'm not looking to ruffle any feathers here, but I actually, the, the, the journey that he goes on from Emerald Twilight to Zero Hour to Final Night to Day of Judgment to the to the Spectre, this redemption that he's able to find as this other character in the DC universe, I find it fascinating. I think there's something very compelling about that. And for me, I know you talked about getting into Green Lantern with Kyle Rayner; like he was my Green Lantern. So for me, mm-hmm. I, I I think Hal's Hal's journey is is kind of fascinating. And I also wonder, like I'm sure there must be Green Lantern fans as many as there were who were up in arms over what was done. To Hal Jordan, I'm sure there were some who actually, you know, sympathized or identified with him and actually, you know, were following his path and kind of maybe rooting for him isn't the right word because he's looking to undo the DC universe. But like, it's a very, to your point, like it is a very, I think, compelling motivation. And he's not just looking to destroy, he's trying to fix. There, There's something very compelling about that.
1: Yeah, it, it, it gives the story itself it makes it more than just a reality shaping event. Um, As much as I like crisis on infinite earths, when you boil it down, it is, I'm a bad guy. That's just trying to destroy everything. That's my motivation. There isn't much to the anti-monitor as a character. He's very single-minded and focused. He is a very, he is, he is a capital, capital B H black hat villain. uh, Where, here, you know, extant kind of falls into that. Like Extant is just trying to accumulate increase his power because everything fell apart after the monarch thing didn't go well. But Hal's motivation makes it more personal. And it's why that last issue is so good is you say you, you mentioned that Superman doesn't have a lot to do. He really doesn't because that last issue is Ollie and Hal having a conversation, essentially. Yeah. And it's, and it's Ollie that puts the arrow into Hal's chest. And so you have like this really deep, uh, kind of ending where I had to kill my own best friend because he was wrong. And you have Barbara Gordon there. Like, well, I exist. Don't I get a chance to, to, to live and all that. And it's just, it, it, it creates right at the end, uh, because it strips away from being an event and it turns into an actual story. Whereas there was a, there was story going along, but everything in the early issues was kind of just setting this up. And then suddenly it's not about the crossovers. It's not about the tie-ins. It's about one man trying to remake reality because he believes he has the right to do that and others standing up to him. And at the end, Reality gets recreated because of it.
0: Well, that's so. I I agree. I mean, like that's the thing. It felt like for four issues, it was more. It was about the plot, and then for the last issue, it was actually about the characters. And and mm-hmm. again, I don't. I don't mean. To, I don't mean to sound like I'm just like dumping on this. It's like I, I guess I, I would have no. loved to have had more of that feel throughout. But I'm glad that we eventually got there. And I do want to say, I think the biggest compliment that I can pay this story is that reading this as a kid in the 90s, whenever it was that I eventually read it, not even knowing all of the backstory with Ollie and Hal and Parallax. I mean, I knew from *Rain of the Superman, like I had you know some sense, but I didn't have all of the specifics. I didn't have all of the history yet that probably more than anything always resonated with me. And that final image of Ollie, like crying out as he's looking up like that really resonated and that made an impression on I me mean, even without knowing everything that had come before so I think in that respect the story was very successful
1: one of the other things the story does very well uh and it's one of the things that I really loved about the DC universe in general is that you've got a sense of the history you may not know what that history is but you got a sense that there is a lot of stuff that has happened between these characters and the writers aren't ditching that it's it's why the new 52 ultimately i think failed is because one of the things and i'm not talking legacy because i think they went way too legacy happy in the in the 2010s (laughs) like like right there before flashpoint like the, the 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 descendant of franklin delano roosevelt gets to be a member of the justice society and becomes gog i mean i'm just like that's a little too cute I think you're you're trying a little too hard there. But when you go to the other extreme where you don't have a sense of the history of this, uh, of these characters, or that they have a shared history, uh, I think for a certain type of reader, and I'm that type of reader, uh, it's kind of a turnoff because it feels hollow. It feels empty. Whereas when you look at that shot of Ollie kind of crying to the heavens, above him is a shot of him and Hal in better times together and you're like oh they were friends they were they were only, not only friends they were good friends and then a couple of years later you read theoretically okay it happened to me uh you read the hard traveling hero stories and then suddenly that ser- that 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 final issue has even more emotional resonance so it, 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 zero hour is definitely a I know the kids today with their hula hoops and their Dan Fogelberg records like to throw around the term mid (laughs) to describe something that just isn't all that good. Uh, But I will definitely say that zero hour as a whole is a middle tier event. Uh, It's not bad, but it's not as good as others um, in terms of both being consistent through the five issues. And again, they had a lot of ground to cover in five issues. (laughs) They had five weeks to tell the story. Uh, it's yeah, that's got to be factored at some point in, in 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 coming down on it. But at the end of the day, the story is the story. What 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 was released was what was released. And the first three issues are heavy into referencing other things in the DC universe while trying to keep a story going. And it's when you finally, like we said, get to stop doing that, the story really picks up and ends. Uh, you know, if a story has a good a beginning and a weak ending, you can kind of forgive it. And if it has a weak beginning and kind of a good ending, you can forgive it. I think we're in that territory here.
0: I, I think that's a very fair assessment. And I also I do want to say, like, it's a very I found it to be a very readable story. Like I said, Crisis on Infinite Earths. And I'm I, I, I still would would view that as the greater achievement when we're talking about these. But that was it, that took a long time to get through. This was a very I found this to be very brisk readable book. I felt like it it moved along quickly. It's again, I think the concept of time being eaten from both ends and everybody disappearing, like it, you know, it's, it's, it's solid. It works. Uh, but yes, I do think middle, middle tier is, is probably fair for, for this.
1: You mentioned something that I just want to touch on it real quick. Um, that now a days, if you're reading crisis and infinite earths, you could have Wikipedia opened on your phone and you can look things up. And that is very, very true. My only issue with it is that Wikipedia entries do not delineate when a retcond happened. So if you're reading a history of a character on a Wikipedia entry and the writer can be really good at breaking down the information, but they're assembling information from a 20-year period, whereas at the time of Zero Hour, we didn't know some of these things because they hadn't happened yet. So it's got to be kind of weird for newer readers to be like, well, why is that? It, didn't he know this? Well, that hadn't happened yet. What do you mean that hadn't happened yet? Okay. <laughs> so, I always but go, yes, it, it's it's definitely better to have the info than not.
0: <laughs> I always go back to that classic Michael Scott quote, "The Wikipedia is the greatest thing in the world. Anybody can write anything Anywhere in the world, so you know you're getting the best possible information. I always think of that any time I go to Wikipedia. Uh, the the last thing I want to say is I do want to get into hyper time, but the the, la- the last thing and I know going back to to my patron's question, and I know I know you touched on this, and I know we so like Hawkman is a pretty extreme example, and I know you talked about some of the changes that were made to Batman moving forward, but I guess in terms of the continuity glitches, problems, errors, inconsistencies that gave rise to this. What what other stuff are we talking? Because again, Juergens really focuses on Oliver Queen's age, which, I, you know, that doesn't really seem to get, or I don't know, I, I didn't spend time really going through that timeline at the end of it, I, I will admit. So I don't know if that if that gets addressed moving forward. But like, what other stuff kind of gave rise to this as, as you see it? it's
1: um, a good question. I don't think Green Lantern did too much because Emerald Dawn changed a lot of stuff, but it focused on a very narrow part of Hal's origin. Uh, and I don't know if you've ever read the first appearance of Hal Jordan uh, and his, his origin story. It is literally, he gets the ring, he becomes green lantern and the story is over. Uh, so it's not like, it's not like going back and, and fleshing that out really detracts from what, what had come before. Um, the Legion was a hot mess um mainly because they had to get rid of superboy as the inspiration of the legion and they tr- kind of did that with the future shock storyline that's not what it was called but that was the uh that was the name of the superman issue superman number 8 that's where i came in so that's why it's so yep. always so like like front and center in my head um but even after that, it was just like there was a Superboy. So you can kind of go back and think about Legion stories that have Superboy in it. But then at the beginning of the 1989 series, reality shifts and suddenly it's not Superboy. It's Largand, who would eventually become mon Um, I don't know if that was an issue, but it definitely kind of it kind of made the legion kind of complicated if you were kind of dipping in and out of it. Um, yeah. It seems like Hawkman is always like the, the poster boy for this. <laughs> yeah. Mark Wade is Mark. Wade said that if they put 10 years ago at the beginning of the first issue of Hawk world, everything could have been saved. <laughs> um, but no, cause cause when you look at Hawkman, like I said, Not only are you saying that none of those happened, but then you have an annual explaining that they did happen, just not how you remember it. And Batman really didn't have too much of a continuity problem. Uh, In fact, by the time Zero Hour came out, Batman had gotten ironed out because Batman's really weird post-crisis. It takes a good year or so for him to settle into anything. Um. Uh, if you read like the first like two years after Crisis and Infinite Earths when Denny O'Neill takes over, tonally those books are all over the place. Uh, Justice League, I mean, the only thing with Justice League is that Wonder Woman and Superman and Batman were no longer founding members. Um, so when they, in Action Comics number 650 uh retold like uh one of the old team ups they had to explain that Superman was there but only just to help out right. <laughs>
0: gotcha yeah yeah no I mean I again I I just uh i I guess that was the other thing that was just sort of I don't want to say bugging me but I, I kept coming back to as I was reading this is like yeah, again like just what, what what exactly was it trying to remedy and again in terms of those anomalies that were popping up again like I think it they they provided interesting fodder for the especially for the tie-in issues and to see how characters would react and again to your point I think those zero issues that followed after the main crossover provided a nice opportunity and Jurgen talks about this in the introduction like the creative teams were told if there's anything you want to do anything you want to fix anything you want to change this is your opportunity to do it and then you'll have the zero issue and you can kind of you know let let it play out so i so like the, the, those pieces of it make sense but yeah I guess uh I, I'm still <laughs> It's like so hard pressed to be like to really be able to articulate explicitly like what exactly this set out to do and 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 then actually did, but
1: yeah, it set out I think ultimately to give kind of a a reset, not a reboot, but a reset to the DC universe, and I think it did that. I think it. I think it gave a good jumping on point. Uh, The only problem with jumping on points is that they're also jumping off points. Uh, And I'm, I'm sure some people did. Uh, For me, it wasn't a jumping on point, more of getting into the larger DC universe and eventually like buying, man, if you were a member of the JLA, I was buying your ongoing at one point. Uh, So that, and like buying most of the Batman titles, not all just most, um, I never got into Legends of the Dark Knight I guess I should have but uh, that seemed to be the one that didn't matter because it wasn't part of the ongoing storyline right <laughs> so no I <laughs> but,
0: hear uh, I know it wasn't until f- f- very deep in right when it started uh, tying into the, the big events
1: yeah so um, yeah I I, I I think it works I think it was a problem that certain creators had And on that level, they solved it Okay. until the next generation of creators didn't care and wanted to fix it again.
0: Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me, Aw Yeah! Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, This multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the ACME team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow ACME on social media and eBay, listen to the ACMEcast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Perfect segue. All right. So hyper times. We flash forward a few years and we have this event, the kingdom, which we set up before. And in this, we have uh, the new character, Gog, who we find out. And thank you for tipping me off to that New Year's evil Mm -hmm. Gog special, which I had never read. It's not on the app. Uh, I had to resort to nope. other means, and even those other means, the quality was not great, but I was at least able to read it. But you get his backstory. The kingdom does give the backstory, but the one shot is more effective, and obviously you spend more time. And you find out this is William. He's a boy who, uh, the sole survivor of the Kansas cataclysm from Kingdom Come, and Superman rescues him, and he comes to view Superman as as a god and thinks that the destruction of Kansas was this test of faith that Superman Gave him and gave the world, and uh, he starts a church and this whole ministry, and and really has has gone all in on the worshiping of Superman uh, until Superman shows up and disabuses him of this notion. And He's like, no, this wasn't a this wasn't a, a test of faith. It's Like, I, it was my fault. I abandoned humanity, and this happened. And then, of course, William loses it, and his entire belief system has been shattered. Right? Because the idea of something just being so senseless he couldn't reconcile it, right? So he had to make some sense out of it and that led to his faith and then once that was taken away, he had nothing. And then the Quintessence, our, our quartet of cosmic beings working with the Phantom Stranger, they uh, uh, imbue him with the powers of Gog and set him on this quest to accelerate the destruction of Kansas. Each member of the Quintessence has their own reason why, right? Like the Wizard Shazam wants it to happen earlier so that maybe Captain Marvel has this enough to die. I won't go through all of them, but... Uh, that's our setup. And so he goes about killing Superman through time one day earlier each each instance, which leads to this sort of paradoxical effect where you have all of these dead Superman with dead man in the afterlife. But how could there be multiple spirits? What's going on? And we ultimately get this, uh, the, the, the kingdom come Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman traveling back to 1998 to the, the then present of the DC universe and meeting up with their present day counterparts uh, ultimately facing off against Gog. Of course, Kingdom Come, Superman, and Wonder Woman have had a child, Jonathan, uh, and, and his, his fate is, is in the balance. Um, and all of this converges in this battle, uh, the, the, the two sets of heroes, uh, and Rip Hunter and Gog, and the revelation that we have this hyper time, this web of, of interconnected timelines. And that's how we can sort of reconcile, because there's all this whole business about how uh, by traveling back in time the kingdom come versions of these characters are are essentially erasing their own existence they're changing the past so theoretically they won't exist you know moving forward yet they still do because they are one of these branches of of hypertime how is that
1: <laughs> so i haven't read the kingdom since 1998 um again i'm the type of person that can tell you what i was doing when i was reading most of comics Uh, During this time period, it was Christmas time. I was with my dad and stepmom at my stepmom's parents' place. And there wasn't a whole lot to do there. So I just had my big stack of comics. And this was one of them. Uh, And I remember reading it at the time going, this is really interesting. I wish the art was better. Uh, And it's nothing against Mike Zeck, who is a brilliant artist. I just was not happy with the art in the second issue. I thought it it, it looked... This is going to sound weird because Zek's not a '90s artist. It looked very '90s. Um, it was interesting reading it again, the Kingdom event specifically, because all I read were the first two issues, and I read the Planet Krypton one. And the only reason I did that is and this is weird. I saw Mark Wade talking about it on Facebook, uh, and I was just like, you know, I haven't read that. Like, I'll read that one. I remember that one being kind of good because it was, it was, it was it was an interesting kind of ghost story and it does set up Batman being able to use the phantom zone projector in the, uh, in the last issue. Um, But ultimately it was just kind of a, did we explain that this was a fifth week event and what fifth week events are?
0: No, <laughs> no, we didn't. We we, didn't. we did when we did our one our DC one million episode because I was thinking that, okay. uh, that I was conflating uh, these uh, these other types of events with fifth week events, and I then I, I clarified it for myself. Yeah. But yeah, we didn't say it in this in this yeah.
1: episode. Yeah, the kingdom was a fifth week event because all of the specials came out in that one week where there weren't any where there was a fifth Wednesday, um, and. They're not necessary. They're interesting. It's Mark Wade, so it's good writing. Um, so you're at least going to... And, and if you like Kingdom Come, it explores some of the characters from that. Uh, ultimately, I think it was a long way to go to do one thing, but that one thing was kind of cool. Uh, the idea that there is this hyper time. And I love how you explained it at the beginning because... When you think of the multiverse, you think of, like, that image from the first issue of Crisis on Infinite Earths of all the Earths, like, stacked next to each other. Whereas hypertime is, like, a system of rivers that all go into different directions, but they can cross back into each other. So there's, like, a moment of the two realities where the exact same things happen, and then they keep going on their own ways. Very Grant Morrison way of thinking, Yes, (laughs) I would say and wade is a fan of that kind of stuff too i think ultimately with the kingdom where you have the first issue of dead man talking to the other superman the superman that just got killed by william um and you know telling him kind of what's going on so you really <laughs> like if you didn't read the gog one shot that's okay because they tell you everything that happened, but at the uh, on the other hand, the Gog one shot has Jerry Ordway artwork, so <laughs> uh, I th- I think it's worth it just for that. But when you get into like the birth of Wonder Woman and Superman's child, and then Gog stealing the baby and encasing it in kryptonite, it's just like God, this is really bombastic and loud and and, and really like you know amped up to eleven, and you have. You have Rip Hunter going rogue on the other linear men and assembling this team of heroes to go and basically fight this thing because he knows about Hyper Time. And the others are trying to keep people from knowing about Hyper Time because it's this huge secret. And then it turns out that the person talking to the quintessence, who mostly come off as giant jerks, God, they're a bunch of insufferable, a group of godlike beings. <laughs> like yeah. they're. They're like, eh, it doesn't matter that reality is tearing itself apart. We're getting what we want. So, you know, it's okay. It's Congress. I mean, <laughs> um, I apologize for that joke. I stand by it. Quite all um, right. Uh, but when it turns out that the person that's been talking to them is not the Phantom Stranger, as you're kind of led to believe, but it's Superman and Wonder Woman's son all grown up as kind of like the guardian of hypertime. I'm like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> And ultimately, when I got to the end of this, that was my whole thing. It was like, that's kind of cool. It's like, it wasn't life changing. It wasn't, it was kind of exciting. There's some really good character beats. I kind of, the one that stands out is they mention Superman's child. And young Superman gets really excited. He's like, Lois and I are going to have a kid. Like,. <laughs> And then you see Wonder Woman's face like, uh, you may want to you may want to rethink that.
0: Yeah. And,
1: and then him learning that Lois died and him going, that's never going to happen. And it's just like that kind of stuff I really got into. Um, I think they just really wanted to get to hyper time. And this was as good a way of doing that as anything. Uh, it feels like I'm being really dismissive of the story. It's just there isn't much to it.
0: <laughs> it's true no i think that's fair i i think and i i do agree with you about the art and look we're, we're coming off of kingdom come with, with the gorgeous alex ross painted art and so it, it this is just a very different different feel and and, and just the, the project itself is really its own thing but be, because it's the kingdom and it's playing off of kingdom come it's you know you you, you know you you can't help but compare and it, it it does pale in comparison i do like though that the Again, the event is called the kingdom. Plays off of Kingdom Come, but they also use that term when they're talking about these different realities within hypertime. They're their kingdoms, right? So I thought that was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean like I said, I thought the idea of hypertime was neat. It was I was reading I just I was searching, you know, ahead of time to like what's like what what's what been said about this and was like on Reddit someone was like it's like like a hand-wavy thing like oh, everything, you know, anything can happen. And I mean, they're not wrong, I guess, but again we've seen instances of these stories like trying to give you know more concrete explanations and it just it gets so convoluted so this idea is neat and i really did like the whole river analogy that they use um because i think you look at stuff like dark knight returns or kingdom come these futures these potential futures of the dc universe and I don't know, on the one hand, part of me feels like, let's not overthink it, right? Like, let's just enjoy these standalone, self-contained stories for what they are and what they say about the characters and not worry so much about whether or not it's an actual future of the DC universe or not. But something like Hyper Time, I, I guess, allows you to look at those stories as, again, these these tributaries, like these branches, these potential futures and maybe we, the idea is like we are, our DC universe is the main branch, right? And then you have these events of importance, I think is, is what's said, that uh, can cause these uh, divergent, uh, you know, tributaries. And so it's like, you know, we might be headed down that path. We might diverge. We might come back. But, uh, you know, I think it's a pretty fluid way of of looking at it. So I was, again, I always thought it was a cool concept. Then as a kid reading it in particular, I was I was pretty taken with the idea.
1: Yeah, it it really depends on, and, and this is something that is now front and center in the mind of fandom, is how do you view multiverses? And with that, how much do you buy into it? Because when you look at how they explain HyperTime and when they do the artwork of HyperTime, they actually use panels from old comics to represent the different worlds. So you have different art styles, which I, I like that. I like that kind of thing. It kind of, instead of making the poor, instead of making Mike (laughs) Zeck redraw all of that, it's just like, no, 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 we're not going to make you do that. We're just going to pull in like some old Kurt Swan artwork or some old Neil Adams artwork and we're going to have it. And so uh, I think, I don't know if we talked about this on, the last time I was on when it comes to Superman uh, I'm not one of these people that likes anything goes. Uh, One of the things that I like about all-star Superman is that it's a very well-told story. One of the things I don't like about it is it's the type of Superman that's just like, Oh, I can sit here and count the grains of sand on Mars. And that's the part where that's my bridge too far that I was talking about earlier. Um, But the idea of like different realities where all of like the imaginary stories from the sixties happened, that's kind of cool. That's like an interesting idea. Like that's an actual like reality. It's not just an imaginary story somewhere that happened. And I think by 1998, we were 12 years, almost 13 years out of crisis the fan base was shifting a little and some writers who were more into the idea of a multiverse had the ability to make that happen. Plus we're leading into the 21st century. So it's like a, and 1998, 1999 was a weird time to be living <laughs> because, because it was, it seemed like half the, the population thought that everything was going to end at night at, at, midnight on January 1st, 2000, whether by Y2K or, you know, Armageddon. Um, and the other half was just like, ah, it's a new century. It's exciting. We get to start over. It's a new, it's a new thing. And I think hypertime kind of plays into that where it's just like, you know, we've done the single universe. So let's play with the idea that there's other realities and let's let certain, let's let the creators who want to play in that pool, play in that pool. Uh, and the two stories that I can really think of that we got, I think did a really good job of doing that.
0: Referring to hypertension and the, yeah. the, the dark flash,
1: the dark flash story, um, hypertension more than the dark flash story. Yeah. Not that there was anything wrong with a dark flash story, but hypertension is just so much fun. <laughs> it's it, just such, such a great story. <laughs> it, it, it,
0: so but you know, you, know, you mentioned about, you know, creating this opportunity, like for creators who want to play in that pool, they can. And I mean, on the one hand, I think I think this this is a theme now when you look at, you know, probably from hyper time forward, and especially in terms of, you know, we mentioned like the Doomsday Clock, Metaverse, and then whatever this divine continuum is that I'll learn about in an upcoming <laughs> episode. Uh, but like this idea of it of it all as much as we can go back to sort of the pre-crisis thing and they're all imaginary stories, but like this idea of they, they all happened, right. Sort of that being the umbrella approach. I I do like that, that core idea, but to your point, like providing this opportunity for creators to play with these versions if they want, I feel like we don't like hypertension aside, like we don't get a lot of instances where this always happens. Like I I was thinking about this and I've said on the show many times, right. I'm not, I'm not, fond of the idea of of Clark having been Superboy before Superman. And it's an idea that Jeff Johns brought back after Infinite Crisis, and then he brought it back again with Doomsday Clock. And next year, we're going to spend a lot of time on all the versions of Superboy, and it'll be a lot of fun, and I'll see if I change my mind and all of this. But then I was saying to myself, it's like, I feel so strongly about this. Like I don't want to be Superboy first. But it's almost like, what difference does it make? Like I was thinking about this. It's crazy to me that... We haven't had either a series or a miniseries or original graphic novel or like anything, any, unless I'm mistaken, if I've missed something, but like a modern story depicting Clark as Superboy. You would think that would be an opera, right? Like, like, that's why I think reading the reading hypertension and reading that uh, zero hour issue of Superboy, I actually did enjoy because it was a modern, I mean, not not so modern now, but <laughs> a relatively modern spin on a Clark as Superboy story. Like it feels like a, a missed opportunity, especially if they're making this part of the character's history, no?
1: Yeah, it seems like the first thing they did when they brought back the idea that he was Superboy was just stick him in the Legion again and have him in the, in that term so you're not dealing with him living in Smallville as a teenager and getting into adventures. Uh I have a really good friend uh his name's Bob Fisher. He loves, uh, he, he was, he is Silver Age born and bred. Um, grew up in the 50s and, and and read the Superman books from like 1954 all the way up till uh, certain, I think he stopped around the time of Byrne because he was one of the guys that was mad at Byrne. <laughs> it's, it's always kind of interesting talking to the, to the previous generation of who was mad and who wasn't. Um, but he loves those stories of, of Clark and Smallville as a teenager and the adventures that happened there. Um, but you're right. I don't think they, they haven't told those stories. They haven't because I honestly think they don't think there's an audience for that, which is why they stick him in the Legion. Cause there he's another superhero. He's a superhero with a bunch of other superheroes. So you don't have to deal with, the past and how that impacts the present uh you know in the 60s they didn't care (laughs) right right it just happened
0: (laughs) yeah but no i again as much as i i I still have a lot of reservations about it just conceptually i i would be intrigued to see those stories so just putting that out there you know
1: yeah because there was a point where i was like you i was i was like i don't i don't want him to be Superboy when he's a kid. And that comes from two things that comes from super being raised on Superman, the movie and the John Byrne Superman. Um, it's why it took me decades to get the Legion because the Legion like, like it didn't matter to me because my Superman didn't have anything to do with the Legion. So why should I care about the Legion? Um, and now as a man gets older and things get very clear. <laughs> uh, the one thing I do know is that, the idea of him being super the adventures of Superman at a boy have a lot of potential to be fun and to be good. And if you have somebody like Carl Kessel and Tom Grummet doing it, then it's just, it, you have, you have two people that are obviously passionate about that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's in, I forget if it's in that zero issue, I think it might be in the hypertension arc where, uh, where connell and and clark are having a conversation clark's talking about the pressure of of you know you know living you know knowing that he's going to become superman right like you know this is what he's on the path towards but he's still just a kid and and so yeah like i think there's interesting material to mine there uh so i want to get into hypertension obviously but just the last thing about the kingdom it begins and ends with I think clearly the intention is the Earth 2, the pre-crisis Earth 2 Superman, right? He's got that uh, insignia. He's got the the, the gray temples. Uh, he's in a metropolis with the Daily Star. Uh, and he's, he's, you know, kind of banging on the sky, right? And there's this caption about how he deserved heaven, not prison. And of course, we know at the end of Crisis on Infinite Earth, the Earth 2 Superman and Lois, along with the Earth Prime Superboy and the Earth 3 Alexander Luther, went off into this, dimension that uh, that Alexander Luther created. And, you know, they leave that story and you assume, okay, they're on off to heaven or whatever you want to call it. Now, if I'm not mistaken, this is the first time we get any kind of sort of touching on that, right?
1: Yeah, and I'm glad it's the last word on it and that we never saw those characters again.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, that's why it was fascinating to go back to this because we're getting very close. You know, we're getting very close to Infinite Crisis here, where these characters come roaring back, and it's this. This, I mean, we'll you know we'll we'll get into all of it, but the central idea that this place they went off to that we all thought was this paradise ended up being this prison that drove a couple of them mad. Yeah. So how do you, like I, when you I, go back and you look at those, those kingdom sequences, knowing what's to come, I guess, how, how, do you, how do you view those now?
1: Okay. I actually look at it two different ways. The, the one way, and it's the way I kind of prefer to look at it, is that to Mark Wade's mind, not having a reality where that Superman gets to exist is a prison for that Superman, because then he doesn't ha- get to have his adventures, That's an interesting, and and to a certain extent, I agree with that uh, because, you know, it it, it does, like, he's in heaven, but he can't go anywhere else. He can't, it's not real, quote, unquote. But the idea at the end that, oh, I can leave whenever I want, just not gonna. And it's almost like, it's not that I wanted to leave. I just wanted to be able to leave. And now I can have a better sense of it. I don't feel trapped. Uh, Knowing what came next um, it's, uh, it's harder because one of the things that I hate about infinite crisis is what they did to those characters. Um, on one hand, I, I, am not going to get into it cause this, this, this episode isn't about it. Uh, but looking at that now, it makes it even sadder because you realize what's going to come later is more tragic like maybe the heaven was was a heaven, and maybe he should have stayed there. <laughs> but then again, when you look at it, when you see the flashbacks of those characters, they're not in a reality; they're in like a like a like a like a cave almost. So it's it, it's almost like that's two different characters going on,
0: uh, right? So I, I think that's uh, th- like that's the thing. There, there's that aspect of it too, right? They they don't line up the quote-unquote paradise that we see depicted in infinite crisis no does not line up with what's presented here but it is still interesting i mean do you i mean i guess my my reading of it was that uh the story is saying that wherever he is whatever dimension whatever whatever this is it's one of the realities within hypertime. was that mm-hmm. your, your your take on it as yes, well
1: that, that was one of my perceptions
0: but I guess what what specifically jumped out was this idea of of again paradise versus prison again knowing where we where we would get and and obviously this this story leaves him in a good place right where he can leave any time but he won't today you know and then you know we we know where we're headed but um, again just fascinating again looking at looking at all of this through the crisis lens and and how we saw this character go off and now we actually like do, do you remember do you remember reading the kingdom for the first time and having a reaction to like seeing the earth Two Superman? Like, did that feel like a big deal? Like, Oh, like it's this guy again.
1: So this was around the time that I got online for the first time. And I remember that the, the first pages of the first issue being the preview pages on DC comics.com. And I remember the message boards lighting up about that. Like, Oh, it's the earth Two Superman. It's the earth Two Superman. And I remember, being kind of excited, and then when at the end he's just like, "Oh, he's good," and he winks at the camera because, um, of course, he does. Uh, I was just like, that felt like a lot of nothing at the time. Um, in my twenty-two-year-old, I'm an adult now, and I know what's best, and I know everything type of type of mentality. It felt like a letdown. On the reread, it was more like, oh, that's cute. I see I see what, what Wade was doing now. And uh, I like it a lot better as an adult, as more of an adult, I guess I should say.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I wonder, and I don't know if Jeff Johns has ever addressed this in an interview, but like, I wonder to what extent, if any, this sparked an idea that would lead to Infinite credit right? This idea that like, oh, we he went off to what we thought was paradise, but it, it actually might have been a prison. I wonder if that sparked anything.
1: Yeah, it might have. I, I like to. Uh, to me, there's reality, and then there's the amusing non-reality where Jeff Johns did everything he did just to get back at the DC at DC Comics from when he was a young when he was a teenager, a young adult. Um, <laughs> have you ever read his letter in Superboy? No. He wrote a letter. It's in one of the I forget which issue it was. Uh, we talked about it on From Crisis to Crisis when we talked about the issue. He wrote a letter to Superboy, like, 94, 95, where he's like, no, this is what you should do. You should have Lex Luthor be Superboy's other genetic thing. And they didn't make fun of him in the response, but it was more like they were, like, dismissive of it. And I just had this image of him, like, like, like swearing with the, you know, that he was going to get his revenge and there's lightning in the background and that basically everything he did... Everything he did to get to his position at DC Comics was to put him in the position. So when he saw this, maybe he's just like, okay, I'm gonna do that, but he's not gonna be the good guy.
0: It's a supervillain origin get- story. That's fascinating. I gotta yeah. I gotta find that letter. That's amazing. Uh all right. So this hypertension arc in the superboy title, issue 60 to 65. Uh, this is, I, I mean, again, Wade uses Hypertime with the dark flash saga. Walter West came from one of these other realities and he has to go back uh, at the end of that storyline. But, it, you know, that's not a story that's about h- hypertime time in, in a, in a, in a mm-hmm. m- substantive way. Uh, but This is. And I mean, again, I haven't fully explored what's what's been done with hypertime time in, in these recent years and in these most recent events. But, you know, to my knowledge, this is the most significant exploration of hyper time that we got was the Superboy arc, which was absolutely a ton of fun. This was thinking back now, this was actually what got me into the Superboy title. And it might sound crazy that I, okay. I wasn't reading it at the time, but I've talked many times on the show. My, my parents were fairly strict with like how many comics I could get. And it was really just like those four Superman <laughs> books. And uh, I kind of had to negotiate for any others, so uh, I, I guess I had never made a big push for Superboy. But then came the time I, I started to expand what I would have, what I was reading, and uh, I feel like it was it probably just caught my eye on the shelf, you know, especially at that point in time. And I mean, I did read the Kingdom when it came out, so I probably the whole idea of hypertime getting a follow-up here that was probably enough of a connection point where i was like "Oh, I, I gotta read this and i remember it fondly and honestly out of out of everything we read uh and we didn't read a, a huge volume of material for this episode but uh you know looking back at the main zero hour miniseries uh some of those tie-ins especially the superman one at the kingdom this was far and away the most fun i had uh, mm-hmm. preparing for this episode you a similar reaction
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, this was a this was an interesting time. I started reading, started reading Superboy at zero hour, uh, and then worked my way backwards. Uh, but I was a I was a regular reader of both uh, of Superboy, and then eventually of Steel, uh, and then I made my way backwards on that one. But this was a little into when Carl Kessel and Tom Grummet came back to the title. They left around issue twenty six. And Ron Mars uh, wrote it for like the next 25 issues, uh, which was okay. Um, I think my biggest issue as I'm rereading them now, it's definitely the biggest issue is the artwork. Uh, Cause it's got kind of a, it's that kind of nineties anime looking thing. And I just, I just remember not being into it. And if I'm not super into the artwork, it's harder for me to get super into the stories. Uh, but then with issue 50, Kessel and Grummet are back and they basically make Superboy Commandy for a couple issues. And then it, it like they were just like, okay, what if Jack Kirby came back today and was doing the Superboy title and that's how they seem to go with it. And this is a this is just it's balls to the wall the entire time. They leave nothing on the table. It's just like you are you jump on the ride and you are there. The int- like until it ends, you're just going and going and going and going and going. There's some great little character beats, uh, and there's as I was reading it, I'm remembering things like, Oh, yeah, this is this is during the time period where Superman was trying to take over the world, this is during the king of the world. So, there's comments that Batman makes to Superman that if you don't know what's going on, you don't know why he's saying it, but then you're then I was like, Oh, yeah, and then. For whatever reason, I thought he got the name Connell later, but he was already Connell. But this was a storyline where he finds out that Clark Kent is Superman. Yeah. And and I'm just like, oh, yeah, that's when that. And it's just like suddenly 1998 through 2002 just comes flooding back into my brain because <laughs> uh, I haven't really re- reread these like I've reread older books. Uh so it was also fun on the level of remembering the time period remembering what it was like to really be looking forward to the next issue of this title because it was just such an exciting book uh and this one in particular uh just the first issue is you know when that superboy shows up and dies you're just like what and then literally our superboy comes walking into the room right after that, and then he's put on a bomb and launched into hyper time. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> there is no other way of like like. I'm I'm just wondering which one of them said we're going to start this off with a bang, and then they all laughed about that as it <laughs> being a big joke. And then the second issue is just him bopping through reality after reality before he gets to the pre-crisis Superboy. Um, did you recognize the reality with the blonde Supergirl and the bat and the Batwoman?
0: Oh, was it one of those like uh, uh, like annual events that they had done?
1: It was a one-shot called Elseworlds Finest. That's what that okay. Carl Kessel wrote. Okay, um, that had them in it. Uh, I forget who did the artwork. I think it was... Is it the Dodson's? Was it like one of their first things? I remember it being very cheesecakey, uh, whereas this wasn't. Um, and then you're introduced to Black Zero, which ties into Superman mythology from this era. Like, <laughs> I had so much fun reading this <laughs> or rereading this. It was just like... I Because... I, like, like you, I liked Zero Hour. I liked the Superman books. They made me feel all 18 again. And the kingdom was just like, ah, this is okay. But when I got to this, I was just tearing through them because I just wanted to get to the next one.
0: <laughs> yeah, they were super fun. I mean, honestly, I, I would imagine out of everything that we've talked about so far on this episode, that this is probably the thing that if someone hasn't read it, it's probably this. So I encourage people to check it out. And they are all on the DC app. Uh, again, yeah. it starts in issue 60. It's called Hypertension. And... Yeah, I mean, you see the Jack Kirby influence totally, and they—he's thanked in the credits for uh, you know in, in all of the issues, and it definitely has that feel. And um, yeah, I mean, I mean, we won't go beat by beat through the whole thing, but yeah, the essential setup, like you said, we have this other Superboy show up who's identical to our Superboy down to down to the molecular level, and he dies, but he's wearing this this hyper jacket. And, uh, you know, Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman now they know about hyper time. They know about this bigger picture. So the idea of a Superboy seemingly from another reality tracks with what they have recently learned. Uh, and so they work with Cadmus though. They, they keep everything close to the vest about what this is all about. Uh, but yeah, they strap him to a a nuclear, a nuclear bomb because they need that power to jumpstart this jacket that his doppelganger was wearing that launches him into hypertime. And like you said, we get him kind of like rolling through a few different ones and it's very fun. But then we get to the heart of the piece, uh, which is that there's this character, Black Zero. Uh, who is you know taking over various realities and the backstory there is interesting where he comes from a world a reality where Superman never returned from the dead and unlike most of these other realities where uh, Superboy never grew you know never was never grown to uh, to maturity to become Superman he actually completed that cloning process and came out as Superman uh, but was ultimately rejected by the world and the, the you know the world eventually turned on clones and the and the Cadmus project um, And so he and uh, you know the the Paul Westfield of that world you know took over and then that sort of set him on this quest of seeking out other realities where uh, the, the tide is kind of turning against uh, clones and against Cadmus And that's where he intervenes and and uh, puts the superboys of those world in stasis and uh, you know uh, asserts his authority over those worlds. And, and like you said, the whole idea of Black Zero, ties back into the history of Krypton and the clone liberation movement and then that whole business. And uh, the last thing I'll say is, I did scan through issue 59, so the issue right before hypertension. And exactly to your point, that's actually where he gets the name. So he gets the name Connell, literally the issue before all of this happens. And in that one, Superman takes uh, Superboy to the fortress and puts him in a VR simulator that shows him the history of Krypton and actually puts him in place of a Kryptonian in, in, in history. Uh, and also to your point in that issue, you see Superman's, um, you know, uh, wall of TV screens, cause that was the king of the world point where he was viewing mm-hmm. everything. So it's, it's very much in that, uh, you know, in that, in that era, but yeah, that's where he learns about, so clearly they were setting the stage for hypertension cause that's where Superboy learns the history of Krypton and gets that name. And so when you get the black zero character, this adult evil version of Superboy, it all ties together. It's so much fun.
1: Yeah, my favorite parts though is when he's with the Kents. Yeah. Uh in the pre-crisis era, like him going, "Man, you all look so young." And Martha taking that, you know, as as any middle-aged woman probably would. Uh and man, uh, cuz Jonathan seems to be kind of kind. But I just love the idea he's of of Connell sitting there going, "Why didn't he tell me?" And Superboy being the one to say, "Maybe" he's trying to be a father figure and he doesn't want you to think of him as just a normal guy. Uh, and it really isn't to the Loeb era that this all gets dealt with. Cause there's that great issue where he just shows Superboy just shows up at the Kent farm and Superman's just kind of a, not meaning to be, but he's kind of a jerk. <laughs> uh, Cause he's like really uncomfortable. And the entire time Superboy's just like, just tell me, I know, I know all of this. <laughs> so it's just, a just, kinda, again, just made me happy to thinking about all that, but no, it's just, I, I, I love the amount of backstory that was put into here. It was cool seeing all the other realities and all the other Superboys because you had like a cowboy Superboy, you had like a, a night Superboy and it's just like, obviously it was Kessel and Grummet just having fun and, and and just letting, you know, like anything's possible. We can make any, and and, and, you know, you could come up with the weirdest idea and it makes sense, but at the heart of it, it's a, it's a guy, again, a guy with cosmic level powers. That's just trying to save what he considers to be his people. And, uh, I think the most evil thing about him was his soul patch. Uh, (laughs) Every yeah. time I see that, I'm like, man, you want to date this story. Just, 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 just focus right on that little bit of facial hair there. Cause wow.
0: <laughs> I know that was rough. Cause the black and yellow, like it's a cool look. If they yeah. had just gone either no facial hair or a beard, I always like a beard. Yeah. That's solid. I know the soul patches like,
1: oh, are fine because Superboy had sunglasses. So it was, it was like one of those things, but yeah, that soul patch is just like, oh man. But Uh, take me to the reality where that doesn't exist.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But no, like really, you know, kind of tying this all together as far as a compelling villain that he I I think what 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 really stood out was he, you know, he could have killed the other Superboys that he had taken Mm -hmm. down from the other worlds, but he places them in stasis like he he can't bring himself to do that. And, And our Superboy ultimately surmises it's like, well, that would be like killing a part of yourself. And if you kill all of us, that's killing any good that's left in you. And then if, even further, this idea that he's going to all of these worlds, ultimately deep down to try to find a place where he's accepted and welcomed. And so mm-hmm. there, there's something very, you know, very relatable, very, you know, uh, compelling, I think, about about Black Zero. Like the story, it's a lot of fun and it's a great adventure and it's neat to see these different realities and different versions of Superboy. But it it really, I think, works because the Black Zero piece of it is, is so strong.
1: Yeah, I when he goes into his backstory and he's just like, in my reality, like you said, in my reality, Superman never came back and they never accepted me. And when you do pile that on top of them, not accepting clones in general and like a hatred towards that and a hatred towards the only home he's ever known. And the people that accept him for who he is like, there's, there's a, there's a, a relatability. It's like, he's, he's the bad guy. Don't get me wrong. I was afraid he was going to kill Crypto. I mean, I, I mean I've mean, i already read this story, and I'm just like, you kill that dog, I will never forgive you. you will, I will <laughs> hunt you down to the end of reality. Um, yes, I'm that type of person. Uh, but I just like the fact that it, you think at the beginning that he's killing them, but when you see that he's put them in those tubes, um, I mean – keeping a bunch of doomsday's together may not eh, that's 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 a little that's a little shady uh the other thing that and again this is a wow <laughs> that was it was a different time uh was the full grown woman uh kissing superboy again and again and again and i'm like he is He's not even 16 years old, but physically he's 16 years old. Woman, you are in your early 20s. This is not okay.
0: <laughs> That's true. The knockout character. I know. I uh, it's fine. I, I I didn't even that didn't even register, but because I wasn't. The, I guess I wasn't uh, realize the, the age. But yeah, no, you're totally right. Yeah, that would not play. <laughs> that would not play today. You know, the other thing as we approach the two hour mark, and I want to let you go. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Okay. But, but I uh, the the other thing, just kind of going back to also where we started of just how I think there was there was a lot of potential with hyper time not not even in terms of you know reconciling continuities but just telling cool fun stories like this and what what was neat what I enjoyed about this one was that um introduced some ideas like Superboy was able to travel because he had the jacket and the, the nuclear power, but uh, Black Zero aided by Metron, who was essentially viewing all of this as an experiment. <laughs> and I like the ultimate payoff. Of with, he was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but with the challenges of the anomaly. like, well, you need a control, you need a reality where Black Zero doesn't take over and see what happens then. And he's like, Oh, okay. But he had helped Black Zero, he gave him uh, high was it Hyperium, right? This uh, mm-hmm. substance that would allow him to access hypertime and built this reactor and there's a point where Paul Westfield one of them right cuz he's he's like gathered up uh, all of them and he's the like Westfield is the one that Black Zero installs right as as he leaves each world like Westfield will will carry out his agenda and Superboy is going after one of them and he Westfield jumps into that hypertime reactor to try to escape to a different hypertime reality and what what Black Zero and, and Metron are, are realize or they know, but I guess this is finally putting it to the test, is that uh, doing that, if anything goes awry with hypertime, like you can erase every version of a character across hypertime. So like Westfield jumps into that, he's not supposed to do that, and not only is he wiped out, but every single Westfield is like I thought that was such a such a cool cool touch.
1: Yeah, it's 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 thinking on the idea at a at a on a more cosmic level, like and, and, and focusing on the idea of that. It's kind of to a certain extent one of the end. It's a different company, different era, but Spider-Man: No Way Home. At the end, Doctor Strange does his spell and makes everyone forget about Peter Parker in every era, in every universe. So when Garfield and ha- and McGuire go back to their universes, does everybody forget about them? Like who knows that Peter Parker is Spider-Man?
0: Oh, you know, I only watched it once and it's been a little while. I thought it was only in, out in, you know, the yeah. Tom Holland world, not, not, not the others, but that, yeah, that would be
1: nuts. It, uh, but again, that's that. It's never said in the movie. To be fair, it was just me extrapolating. Like all of the other people are coming to our universe, so for undoing that, how far does that spell go? But yeah, the idea that every Westfield, um, and again, Jeff uh, Johns would be perfectly okay with that because it was Lex Luthor, not not Paul Westfield, uh, that shared the genetic.
0: <laughs> now wait, if I'm not mistaken, at this point in time, right? Did because isn't it in hypertension where Westfield? Talks about how he provided the other piece of genetic material. Like, wasn't that this point in time like Superboy didn't know where the other he knew?
1: Uh, he found out in the 1995 year one Superboy annual. Oh, okay. Uh, that's where he found out that that's where he found out who the other person was okay. and that it was Paul Westfield. Um, again, it's so weird thinking back to this era where everything was important. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, listen to to Jeff to John's credit. I mean, Lex Luthor is is a is a more interesting choice than the Paul Westfield.
1: And and moving towards your something you mentioned before, uh, like you, I was all in on the DC universe right before Infinite Crisis. So that whole storyline and the Teen Titans and crossing over with the Outsiders was a huge deal. Uh, so I remember remember a lot of people being mad about it, and me be going, eh. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's it's okay. I can let this one go. Um, one of the things that I love about this story more than anything is very personal. If you have a paper copy of issue 61, uh, look in the letters column. It is my very first letter ever published in a comic. Um, to be fair, it was an email. Um, but I just started emailing every book I read. Um. And for the next, like, two years, like, a handful of times, uh, a letter would appear. But this was the first. And I didn't even know about it uh, before I got – I knew about it before I got the issue because it was one of those things where you leave an email – they have your email address. So people started emailing me saying, hey, I read your letter. And I'm just like, my letter – oh! And and then I couldn't wait till Friday when I got paid where I could go get my comics. <laughs>
0: that's so. so cool that's so cool i i used to have a paper copy this uh, uh the, the super boy issues i had that was one of the things that you know didn't make it through one of the the purges long the purges. before long before <laughs> i knew there was going to be a podcast that i was going to be doing <laughs> like,
1: no I'm, I'm i'm not saying it's essential i was just uh, when you asked me to cover this uh that was one of the things it was just like yeah, I'll talk about this one. It's 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 a favorite on several levels. So
0: that no, I love that. I love that. Well, listen, I really, uh, I really do appreciate your time uh, and, and and just getting your insight. I always love you know speaking to you and you know your your knowledge of this and your passion. It's it's a uh, it, it, it's it's really something. And it, it it like I said, it's just I really enjoy getting you know getting that perspective on it. So um, it, it I appreciate great to, that.
1: It's it's a lot of fun. Always fun talking to you.
0: Oh, thank you. Uh, so, uh, we've mentioned your podcast from crisis to crisis, but uh, where, where would you like to direct folks specifically?
1: Uh, fortress of which is home of the fortress of Bailey two podcasting network. It's the home of all of the shows that I do. Um, if you subscribe to the main feed, I'm sorry that the last couple of months of shows haven't shown up there yet. I have no idea why that is. Uh, it, they're fine everywhere else. Uh, but you know, when we're in a world where Twitter is breaking down, doesn't it make sense that other things would be breaking down too. <laughs> so, but, um, there's from crisis to crisis, which is all about the post-crisis Superman, uh, that me and my friend Jeff have been doing since 2009. Uh, I've got a Batman show, uh, called overlook dark night where me and my friend Andy talk about Batman stories that don't get a lot of coverage. Uh, As of this recording, right after I get off of this, in about a half hour, I'm getting on with my two co-hosts from the Superman and Lois tapes, because we haven't been able to keep up with the show this season, like past seasons, but we talk about Superman and Lois, and uh, they haven't seen the finale yet, and I have, so this is going to be interesting. Oh. (laughs) Because we're talking about episodes six through eight tonight, so...
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. All right. Uh, You'll make it work because those last couple are their own thing. So I think you'll, I, 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 I
1: I said, it felt like issue, sorry, episode 10 was the season finale and that we started the next season and now we have to wait a year.
0: (laughs) That is a good way. Yeah, that is. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, well, I hope you have a great recording later. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thank you again for taking part, audience. I thank you for tuning in. As always, I really appreciate it. Make sure you check out FortressOfBailey2.com. And uh, next week, Bernie Gerstmeyer, sweet, sweet Bernie, he'll be back in studio, and we're going to be talking about Identity Crisis. So not one of the status quo, earth-shattering, continuity-altering stories, but A crisis and a pivotal story that really set DC on a path toward infinite crisis. So we have to talk about it. And I know it's a controversial one and we'll dig into it. And I think it'll be a fun and interesting conversation. So make sure you come back next week for chapter four of Red Skies. As always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network. Home to Digging for Kryptonite, another exciting episode in The Adventures of Superman, Summoning the Zords, and My Comic Shop History, available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com
1: slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.